Hoody ho! Hey guys, back with episode 27. Uh, this is going to be a quick intro because this is a very special episode and a very long episode. Um, this is my buddy Rob Farlow. He's a great dude. Uh, I met him through some support groups on Facebook and he's a good dude. Uh, this is a really good way to end the year. The only thing I'm a little frustrated with is that uh, it went on so long that my iPad was dying, so I had to switch mics. So the audio goes down a little bit towards like the last 50 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it is. So you might just have to turn the mic up, or your headphones up or whatever a little bit. So um, other than that, like I said, it was a great episode, and uh, thanks guys for all the support. And uh, yeah, see you guys next year. Happy New Year, guys. There we go. Okay, so um, I guess, you know, where do you want to start? Um, well, do you, you want to intro me, and then and then I'll, I'll go. I, already, I do an intro outside the podcast. Like, I do it after, because I, I don't never know what I'm going to say oh. in the intro, because I'll, I'll say nice things okay. about you and say how I met you and all, all right. that. Um, so why don't you talk about basically your childhood, because you were telling me earlier about your parents and gotcha. all the crazy shit Hello. that happened. Gotcha. I was born in South Philadelphia. 1974, Pennsylvania Hospital, and uh, I, uh, I, grew, I grew up there. Uh, my father, at the age of four, was convicted of murder and uh, sent, got life in prison at Trenton Prison, Trenton State Prison, New Jersey. It was a drug ripoff gone bad. My father was into some underworld stuff and stuff he shouldn't have been in. Involved in drugs and things of that nature, ended up killing a guy over a dispute of some money. Uh, that guy, in turn, um, his uncle, uh, out, out of retaliation, firebombed our house, and my uh, eight-year-old sister perished in that fire. Wow. I didn't. I was saved, okay? My mother handed me in the middle of the night at 2 o'clock in the morning when she woke up and the whole house was engulfed in smoke. She told my sister, hang on to my robe. She told my little sister, hang on to my robe. And she grabbed me in her arms and made her way from, in Philly, it's a row house. Made, made her way from the top floor, from the master bedroom to uh, the bathroom. Right. At the bathroom, a fireman broke the window out. She handed him, or handed him me, okay? My sister got scared, ran back in her room with her dog. And as she went to go get her, the whole room came. Wow. And the fireman grabbed her and pulled her out. She suffered burns, but she was okay, thank God, physically. Mentally, she never recovered from that. Right. Um, my, uh, that was because of the man my father murdered. So my father kind of caused all this, or he did cause it. So Now, was your dad like there, in some sort of gang, or was he just like a crazy individual? He, he, was, uh, he wasn't in a street gang himself, but he was a go-between. He did a lot of, uh, you know, he would set up drug deals with the mafia and the organized crime. And, you know, any, anything there was to make a buck Ill- illegally, he was involved in it. The, the guy was completely allergic to an honest day's work. Completely yeah. allergic to it. He just didn't want to work. That's just the, the bottom line of it. So, right. Um, so from there, my mom, of course, uh, you know, she had some mental problems. My grandmother had to pretty much pick up the slack a little bit for a couple of years because my mom was suffering so bad, you know, mm-hmm. which then we moved shortly later after that, um, we mo- ended up relocating to South Florida. 
my grandmother uh, bought a trailer park, a trailer down there and an old age trailer park. And um, I ended up going there when I was a teenager, moving from South Philly to Florida. To me, that was like moving to the promised land. You know, the sunshine, the palm trees, all that. It was just, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. Right. It was like the promised land to me, okay? It was, it was Canaan, you know, so... And I think a lot of people um, don't really understand, like, Philly. Like, because I'm, I'm from there, but, like, I live in more of a, like, a redneck town now. And, I, I you know, I, I'm a little rough around the edges sometimes. And people, it's not yeah. just because I'm disabled. It's because of Philly. Like, Philly's a really hard city. And it's not, you it can't, you can't just be there and think you're going to survive like you would yes. in Montana or wherever. Oh, for sure. But you know what? Being able to survive in, in Philly, you could survive anywhere. Montana would be a cakewalk. You'd run wow. that town. You'd be the mayor Hell if yeah. you moved to Montana. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and part of the reasons why I, I always, when I, I, a lot of the, when I ended up joining the service and traveling later in life, I always wanted to be away from the East Coast because I always thought the West Coast was this, the promised land. California, all this shit. But I, I and, and it, it's beautiful and everything. But being an East Coast personality, I never really fit in right. with people on the West Coast. They thought I was rough around the edges. I talked funny. I had an accent. You know, I just never fit in. Their their idea of comedy, like, kind of wasn't mine. Their idea of something funny wasn't mine. Right. You know, so anyway, bottom line, we moved to Florida. I'm a teenager. Um, we get to Florida around, the, around about the same time Hurricane Andrew hit, which pretty much devastated South Florida. <laughs> So we were there, um, my mom, my grandmother, my brother, we all lived in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a trailer park for senior citizens. I met a lot of old people there. Um, I was the youngest guy there, so they kind of had me as the maintenance man, and I was always helping people clean and doing things of their move stuff for them because they were old and they couldn't. And I met a lot of wonderful, interesting people and, and, you know, that had their lives were like incredible to me. They were in the, uh, I met Holocaust survivors there. This was in the late 80s, by the way. Okay. And, um, yeah, this wasn't like a couple months ago. I'm, four, I'm 46. So this was in the late 80s. Um, George Bush's father was president. Okay. So I remember all that. Bottom line, um, next thing you know, the Gulf War hit. I wanted to join, but I was too young. I wanted to go and fight, and by the time the Gulf War was over, it, was, it lasted like, I don't know, 30 days. It was like a video game, you know, and I wanted to go. Well, I had to wait. I waited. I, got, I became old enough to uh, go into the military on my own, and um, that was my goal. I figured I had to get out of, you know, where I was. I wanted to travel. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to be something better than my father and my, my family members. All my family members were, most of them were in prison or had, were involved in some kind of, you know, illegal activity or just no activity at all. I mean, they just didn't work, unfortunately. I just, that was the mentality of South Philly, believe it or not. Those of you from South Philly will know what I'm talking about, that mm -hmm. those that aren't, you're not. Can you say they so, were into some sort of drug trafficking and stuff? Oh, I had family members that, uh, that were involved in drug trafficking. I had family members that were involved in gambling, uh, in, involved in murder. You know what I mean? You name it. It ran the gamut. Right, know? right. So, okay. But um, that wasn't me. I despised all that shit, okay? Mm -hmm. I was anti. I, I, when I, you know, I remember having to go visit my father in Trenton State Prison and actually just be going there as a young man, seeing the big gates and the steel door and all that 
scared the shit out of me. I used to, I didn't want to go there. I, I, people would touch me and search me and I'd have to walk through a metal detector. And then I would see my father like living in a, like in a, in a place. It was so dirty and filthy. I was like, Oh my God, it would like hurt me to see my dad in there. It would hurt me that I was scared to even go in there. I didn't even want to come. I would always make excuses. I'm sick. I'm this and that. My mother would force me, force me, force me. And I would get so mad at her for it, you know, because she, no matter who my father was or how bad he was, she always wanted me to have a, a relationship with him. That's one thing about my mom. She even though that, you know, my father's actions killed her daughter, she still wanted me to have a relationship. That, that's the kind of woman we're talking about here. Right. All right. So she made me go. I saw where my father was living. I saw the, I, everything in front of me. I was just like, you know what? This is fucked up. I can't. This ain't my life. This ain't me. I want to do something. And every all my family members are like, you know, just basically haven't done anything. Like I'm the, like, you know, none of them graduated high school. And I love my family. But I said, you know what? I'm going to be the first to graduate high school. I'm going to be the first to you know, go to college. Matter of fact, I'm going to join the military because I want to get the fuck out of here. And the only, I ain't got no money. I ain't got no college knocking my door down. And I said, you know what? And this was the early 90s. I said, guess what? Here it go. Anchors away. I'm joining the Navy, right? So, and I love the Navy because it traveled, you know? Mm -hmm. Join the Navy, see the world. That was the slogan. That sold me. I went to all the different recruiters. Everyone told me about GI Bills, and you know, the college. The Navy recruiter pulled me in the office. He sat down. He opened up a drawer, pulled out a whole book of Polaroid for, uh, pictures. You remember what Polaroids look like? Yeah, I do. Okay. Well, they were all pictures of girls all over the world <laughs> with him and these women that he had that he had seen and met. And uh, I said, sign me up, Jack. Where that was his sign? pitch? That was it. It, was, <laughs> it wasn't about the college or nothing. He didn't have to. That was it. He pulled this big, big photo. Uh, phone book, like a photo book from a bottom drawer in the recruiter's office. He opened it and it was just like Polaroid stacks of pages of them. Wow. You know, <laughs> you know, three rows each. Tell us me in Sweden. This is me in Israel. This is me in Norway. This is me in Japan. This is me in Okinawa. And I'm just like, he's with all these chicks. And I'm like, sign me up, bro. Sign me up. So that was it. I, I left. I was off and and uh, I, I decided that I was going to, my, my journey, see, I was, I was born with another condition. It's called wonderlust. Do you know what wonderlust is, DJ? I do not. Okay, wonderlust is, I was so interested in what other people, how they lived, how they ate, how they talked, how they worshipped in church, how they kept their refrigerator, how their bathroom looked. I was so interested in, in what other people were doing throughout over the, you know, throughout the world. I wanted to like peek into their house and peek into their fridge and peek into their, you know, their medicine cabinet. I wanted to know how they live and I wanted to see, I wanted to like meet them and I want to talk to them and I want to, you know, try to learn their culture, their language and eat their food. I was just born that way. And I said, you know what? Cause I wanted to get the hell out of the real world I was in. And I wanted to meet people and see how they lived. And the Navy offered that to me and provided that to me. And uh, it was the adventure. And that, that wanderlust is what drove me. And, um, and I did. And I joined the Navy. And um, while in the Navy, I was selected to become a military policeman. My father, uh, you know, uh, because my father was a, a, a criminal in prison, I said to myself, I'm going to do the exact opposite of what he did in his life, so I'm going to be successful. I'm did like, you ever go really visit him? Not that hard. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Yeah, they'll all come together. Yeah. Okay, yeah. gotcha. But um, but uh, so I, I said, okay, I'm going to join up. I'm going to see the world. I'm going to satisfy this insatiable, you know, wonderlust I have, and I'm going to, you know, make my, my my family proud and 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 restore some honor and dignity to my last name. You know, Rob Farlow. That's my last name. So, um. I said, okay, and um, that was my journey. I went, uh, did the military police academy in Lackland uh, Air Force Base, Texas. Now, I was in the Navy, um, but everyone, we went to the Air Force Military Police Academy. Um, right there, I, I, I just completely took to it like a fish to water, and I ended up becoming the honor graduate, the honor graduate, distinguished graduate, and it was the first time in my life I'd ever, like, had success at anything. Like I never was the, uh, you know, the, on the Dean's list, the honor roll or had the best, you know, uh, was the best guy to get picked for sports. I was never the first guy to get picked. I was a wrestler and I qualified to go to the state tournament and everything. And I won districts at my senior year, but I worked really hard and you know, nothing ever came easy for me, but for some reason this shit did. And I, I got. I graduated. I'm brand new in the military, right out of boot camp. I'm in the military police academy, and I just completely. I'm the number one in the class, and I'm a number one academically and number one performer. And I was like, wow. And I was going through the whole. You know, I shot expert with the nine mil, the shotgun. Like you know, everything was, you know, just falling into place. Like I knew how to handcuff people. How to. I knew how to think like a crook. Because I, I grew up around crooks. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I knew how to think like them. Like when we would have these scenario training where I would like come into a house and I was a, a patrolman and, you know, the, the instructors would have actors that would play these different things. I would trip the actors up. I would end up tripping them up and like completely throwing them off script and shit because I was just good. I just knew how to, you know, like, oh, the drugs are in the drawer with the forks and the knives. You know, they're in the drawer right here. This is where he has like, I just knew. It was just because I seen it in my house. Right, yeah. So, I just, it was easy. So, um, so I, I graduated first. The commanding officer said, Mr. Farlow, I always give the honor graduate either the, the, a pick of a secondary school, like a specialty. And she said, what would you like to do as a specialty? Do you want to be an investigator? Because you can go on from that and go to investigation school. Do you want to be a bodyguard for the admirals, one of those bigwigs up in the Pentagon? You drive them, you follow them around, you, you know, you, you, you pull the chair out for them, you put them in, you know, pick them up in the morning, you know, take them home. I, or do you want to do that? Do you want to um, work the brig and be a corrections officer and I could send you to one of our Navy brigs and you can work there as a, as a corrections? Or, or do you want to, uh, we have canine? Do you want to, do you like dogs? And I was like, canine, huh? My mom, my mom used to raise dogs when I was a kid. I grew up around dogs, Doberman Pinchers. I mean, she would breed and then sell them, you know, nothing like some big AKC or anything. This was Philly. Right, right. right. You know, shit was done out of your house. There was no, nobody was paying taxes and business licenses and shit. Good old Philly. Yeah. So my mom used to breed them and sell the puppies. So I grew up around. So I'm like, yeah, you know, I love animals and everything and. So she said, I'll tell you what, I'll have the driver take you down to the school. It just happened that that school was right across the street. And it was at a, I was at an Air Force base doing a Navy school, but this school for canine was a Department of Defense school. In other words, you had all U.S. military, all branches, 
U.S. Customs, DEA. You had you had Foreign Service dogs too from Colombia, drug dogs, and all kinds of stuff. Internationally, this was a world, a nationally renowned, recognized school. Okay, mm-hmm. so when you go to this school, you're in. You're sitting down with guys from the DEA, dog handlers from FAA. FAA was the precursor to Homeland Security, TSA, FAA. So you're sitting there and you're, and, and so I go and watch it. They take me down there so I can observe. And that's when I see the first bike demonstration. And they have a canine handler come out. He looked a little bit older than me, just like maybe by a year or two. He had a young face, barely shaved and all that. And he comes out with this big, beautiful German Shepherd. And he's making the dog sit, stay, blah, 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 blah. And this guy's got this Gumby suit on, this big puffy suit. And he just sends the dog. He tells him attack. And the dog chases this guy down and jumps on him and takes him down. And I just, I'm on the sidelines watching this demo. And I am just riveted. My eyes can't come off of this. And then I look at it and I said to myself, that's me. That's my life. This is what I'm meant to be doing. So I went back, told the CO guess what? I said, I'd like to do canine school. I'd like to be a canine handler. No problem. She enrolled me in. I started the next week. There you go. I started class. It was 12 weeks in San Antonio, Texas. A lot of, you get certified to train uh, attack dogs, drug detection and bomb detection. All three certs you get there. All three of them. Okay. So when you leave there, you're a fully certified dog handler for detection apprehension and basic obedience and, 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 and stuff like that. Drugs, everything. You get all three certifications going there, which is priceless in the canine world. Um, so from that point, uh, I went on, I went on to Japan and, Oh, I've met a woman. I got married. I fell in love. I got married in between that. Um, I went to Japan. I was stationed there around 2003. The Iraq, Iraq war hit. Uh, when we got attacked on 9-11, I was in Siganilla, Italy, guarding the airfield, protecting the airfield when that happened. Fast forward, 03, here we are, now we're invading Iraq, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm a newly minted canine handler in Yakuska, Japan, and I'm on the base security, right? And my first dog assigned to me was a canine by the way of military working dog, Art, A-R-T, that was his name, Canine Art. And that was the first bomb dog I had that I got. And I just happened to went on the bomb detection. What happens is if you're on the bomb detection side, when you first come to a kennel, the new guys go straight to bomb dogs because the bomb dogs, you got to be, have your, your beeper back then. It was a beeper, by the way, a pager. Right, if you remember right. that. Yep. You had to have that on you 24 seven. And there were weeks at a time where you could not consume alcohol. Like you had to be on call 24 seven and that would go weekly. Like I would do duty all seven days where I can't drink alcohol. I got to be within one hour of returning to the base. If there's a bomb threat, I can't be more than one hour away from that base. So there's no alcohol. So that's like a big sacrifice for a sailor. Right. Mm-hmm. So the new guys that come in, guess what they get? Bomb dogs. Right. The, the, mm-hmm. the sailor guy, the, the senior guys, the senior handlers, they work the narcotics dogs because the narcotics dogs were never called in for emergencies. You understand? Yeah. They just did their searches and that was it. Right. So you, you had to pay your dues on a bomb dog and then you gain some rank and experience and then maybe you get a drug dog, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. So, um, I get there, 2004 rolls around, well, the next, the, the Iraq war is in full effect, uh, and these things keep showing up on the news, and first they were called, I believe, roadside bombs, 
They were wreaking havoc on our soldiers in Iraq. And they were later, that was also the term, the, the pre-term uh, for improvised explosive devices, IEDs. Right. And they, the Army and the Marine Corps were carrying the brunt of the war at that time as far as canine assets, okay? Uh-huh. So the canine corps for the Army and the Marine Corps were exhausted. I mean, they were done. All their handlers were out. They had no, basically all their dogs were overseas, and they had no explosive dogs on the base, you understand? So they realized that they overtasked them, so they needed to start augmenting from the Navy and the Air Force and even the Coast Guard, canine handler, canine teams, because they needed to rotate these guys back home, all right? So, and they were getting killed, too. Um, so they, it turns out that the Navy, uh, our base, was selected to provide one dog handler to go and uh, live with the Army, support the Army for six months. When it came to the kennel, I was newly married, but everybody in there had just became a father or had children, the other dog handlers. There was about six of us total, including me. They all had kids, and it was, it was to me, and I said, you know what? Send me. I'll take it. We don't have to have no meeting, no friggin' draw straws or what have you. I'll take it. So I said, send me, and they did. And um, from that point, I embarked on, on a journey that would change my life forever. And uh, that was my first tour in Iraq. I went to an army base for two weeks with my dog in Texas, and I had to learn how to low crawl and shoot combat style because I'm coming from a military police background. My background is law enforcement with the dog. My background is drug searching, explosive detection, building searches, writing someone a traffic ticket with the dog, pulling somebody out and patting them down with the dog. So my, my stuff was all LE, law enforcement. This was a combat mission. So I needed tra- further training. So they sent me to two weeks of this Army uh, Combat Readiness Course, CRC. Now, do and you bond really with the dog? Like, are you allowed to, like, love the dog up and have a relationship? Yeah, with yeah, it? that's my dog. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that, that's my assigned dog. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So, okay. um, so pretty much, I go to their training. They're two weeks, and they teach me how to be in the Army for two weeks. And then I get deployed into Baghdad. And uh, from there, I'm assigned to the 1st Infantry 7th Regiment out of Fort Stewart. I was attached to them as an asset for an infantry unit. And from that point forward, I didn't get much sleep. Um, I was conducting raids, uh, knock-to-knock raids, numerous combat missions, uh, numerous IED sweeps, route clearing, uh, uh, participated in numerous combat missions that resulted in the uh, detention and interrogation of of uh, our anti-Iraqi forces. Uh, we took down an Al-Qaeda cell, too. I even have that documented in my eval. That's declassified. I could, I could give it to you. You could put it all over the Internet. So I have that in my record. You know, we took out a fucking Al-Qaeda cell. And, nice. yeah, so it's, uh, it was a hell of an experience because when we did it, all they really needed me for was to do the sweep. The, um, you know who I'm talking about. Those dudes went in and did it. You understand? Right. Right. I went there. You know, they protected me. I sweeped the place to make sure there's no bombs for these guys. And, get, and then guess who hits the door? The fucking the special forces dudes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And everything you see on TV about them dudes is real. Okay? okay? Yep. It's real. All right? So, they, you know, they just needed me because my, I, I knew how to hold the leash that had a dog that sniffed bombs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. But, 
You know, it, I was in combat. I was shot at, rocketed, mortared. I saw people die. I saw people get blown up. My Humvee got hit with an IED from outside the car, cracked the window. Um, uh, bad shit, you know. So I uh, saw that, and uh, you thank God I made it home. Did you have to ever um, kill anybody? I yes, unfortunately, I had to discharge my weapon. Right. You know, and 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 that's you, okay to ask, right? Weapon. I didn't know if that was. Well, it's it's kind of it's not supposed to, but I'll answer it. Um, it's it, it's an awkward question, but the truth is, sometimes when you're fighting in those situations, it's not like the movies where you shoot a guy six feet in front of you, five feet in front of you, and he has this big dramatic scene and he dies. You understand what I mean? Right, right, right. It's a whole different thing. You're, people are shooting at you from windows on top of buildings right, and outside right. apartment, you know, throwing shit at you from the roof, grenades and shit. So are you returning fire, pot shots to try to suppress the fire to keep them from throwing stuff? Of course. Now, did I, did, did I see it? Like, did I actually shoot a guy and, like, watch him die? No. Right. You know, I, I didn't see that, and thank God I didn't. But I shot at a lot of motherfuckers. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. All right? So, with all that being said, and I'm nobody, trust me. I was a fucking cop doing a friggin' soldier mission, and those dudes saved my ass. Right. You understand? Right, right. So, I owe them everything. The Army's the best. The Army, the Marine Corps, those guys go out and do, do a lot of the heavy lifting, and I got much respect. I'm a Navy guy. I like to sit back, relax, and ride the ship and enjoy the weather. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, that's why I'm the stone sailor. Right. But, <laughs> so, but that'll come together later. Um, bottom line, I get back home, and... You know, bottom line, I finished out of the military uh, to make a long story. I go back for another tour. Uh, this time, I'm, uh, I'm a kennel supervisor. Um, I'm now dispatching dog handlers to go on missions because I, I, I uh, got promoted and I was in a supervisory position. And I would always have fears that my handlers would get killed on missions I would have to send them on. And I went out on a couple missions too, but primarily I, re I wrote a desk. Uh, my second time, I went outside the wire a couple times, but nothing, you know, nothing crazy. Before you go into that, what, what, what's like regular life like? What I means you came back for a little while, so what's what's it like to just actually live well, like? A... I came, I did because I came back and I was still in the navy. Oh, okay, I got you. You know, I continued to made a career. You know, I, right. I, I I did a combination of twenty years of the service. Okay, I got you. So you know, what I mean, my life didn't start till I officially got out of the service in 2012. In other words, they kept me. They keep you so damn busy that you don't have time to process anything until you're out. When you're out and everything goes from 100 miles to friggin' to complete screeching halt, then a lot of demons that you kept in like you know cabinets and shit in your brain start seeping out. Right. All right. But trust me, the military will keep your mind and your body occupied. Gotcha. And depression, depression don't hit a moving target, and they'll keep you on a moving target. Trust me. Yeah. I did after, after that. I did three years on a ship. I was out to sea. I was the chief master at arms aboard the USS Mount Whitney LCC twenty. Right. I was the chief master at arms. I was the sheriff of the boat. I did. I was the command investigator, command urinalysis coordinator. I arrested people, sent them to. Brought them the captain's mask, brought them to prison, to the brig, you know, when things went down on the ship, all kinds of crimes. A ship, a floating ship is like a floating penile colony. It's like a floating penitentiary. There's crimes on ships. Right, of course. There's sexual assaults and all kinds of shit, okay? So I've seen it all on them fucking Navy ships. Um, 
so from that I retired, um, came, I decided to take a job. Well, I was looking for jobs and um, the one popped out on me, something I was over the internet and this Federal Corrections, Bureau of Prisons, they had an emblem. Their insignia, their emblem just reached out and grabbed me, like reached out to my face and like grabbed me. And I'm like, damn, I, the federal, I didn't know the federal system I didn't know the federal government has a fucking, you know, uh, you know, federal prisons. Like I'm thinking of like state prisons because <clears throat> my dad was in state prisons or county jails. Like, and I'm thinking, oh wow, federal too. Yeah, that's a federal job. I'm coming out of the military, and fucking shit, I can roll right into a federal job and continue putting in my points for retirement and shit. And uh, it was an easy fit. I said perfect. So I applied. I got hired. And from there, I started my uh, new career as a uh, federal corrections officer at the United States Penitentiary, Coleman, Florida. And, um, and that's where, how I started my career in corrections. And it was kind of a fitting because of the fact that as a young man, I always, uh, you know, I hated the prison. I didn't want to go to prison. And now it was my way, I guess, getting the job there where that was my way of overcoming my fear of prison. Because I always like to challenge myself to overcome my fears. Right. In life. So. Now, were you uh, married this whole time? Well, I was married when I got to the prison. I, I, I got a divorce. That was when I was going through a divorce. Okay. The mar- well, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to that. So I got you. I just, I just didn't know because it's got to be hard on someone being oh, able to stay was, with you. Of course. It yeah. was hard. I, I, you know, my, uh, <clears throat> my first marriage was, the, I mean, that was a huge failure in my life. Right. So. Bottom line, I uh, <clears throat> I end up getting a job at the prison, starting my career there. Um, my brother uh, was a heroin addict, my younger brother. He became a heroin addict while I was in the Navy, unfortunately. And he said he was living down in South Florida with my mom, and he decided that he wanted to get clean. And he was holding a job because he was a functional addict, okay, a functional addict. Right. And then everything just, he got out of a bad relationship and everything just started to go sideways for him. So I offered to bring him up to live with me in my house because I bought a brand new beautiful home. I mean, I was making great money. I mean, everything, you know, TJ, I had everything I wanted, you know, financially, all that, you know, brand new truck, Nissan, friggin' Titan, diesel, everything, brand new Harley Davidson, you know, I thought I was fucking, you know, uh, fucking, what's his name, Kanye West or something, you know? <laughs> All right, yeah. So, yeah, no, that's not my generation. I was going to say David Lee Roth, but hey, I, I would have lost. That's all right. I he's still I around. Lost your genera- I would have lost your generation if I did. Nah, he's still around. Everyone, I mean, they well, kind of I'm still ba- I'm a Van Halen guy, David Lee Roth. I'm not no Van Halen, Sammy Hagar, bitch. I'm just letting you know. That's all right. So, um, so from that, so I get my brother, he comes lives with me, comes to live with me. I take over his car payment. I let him live in my house. I get him health insurance. I just want you to get off this junk. I bring him down to get him in treatment. And bottom line, I come home one day and my TV's gone. He steals all my wife's at the time's jewelry. And from that point, I just told him, look, man, you know, I got it. You, you need to go to rehab, bro. You know, we, you know, inpatient. And what he did was he got a gun and killed himself. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Did so, you did you find him? Yes, I did. Oof. Mm-hmm. So that from that point, my marriage was over. 
because my wife was in the house at the time too, by the way. Oh, yeah. So from that, from that point in time, my marriage, it was done. It was over. My life was almost over. I wanted to crawl next to him and grab that gun out of his hand and put it right to my temple and squeeze the trigger. Were you guys close? Like very close. Right. And I felt like I, I'm a piece of shit for not, for making him, allowing him to take that journey alone. I should have been with him. Right. So anyway. So Did you feel, brother, so you felt some sort of, I'm sorry, I, I can't like wave to let you know I'm trying to say something. So I don't want you to shit. think I just want to keep cutting you off. Um, no, no, give me the questions. Um, yeah, I mean, so did you feel some sort of guilt like from all the times you disappear, even though you were doing something noble? You almost guilt, you felt, anger, everything, every emotion you could think of. Right. I had it all. Well, you know, I had it all. I, I asked myself why. And oh, I forgot to tell you this. It was on my birthday. So huh. now you've seen yeah. people die before, but I'm assuming this oh, was yeah. probably the worst. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because well, it's my brother. You know, I mean, you know, right. it's, it's, it's your own blood pouring out of him. Right, you yeah. know, so it's different. But I'm assuming that know, image is probably scarred in your head to this day. Oh, that'll never leave me. That's ingrained in my soul. Yeah, you know, part part of me's gone forever. Right at that point, I hear you. Yeah. So it, it, it'll never come back. But anyway, so from there, my marriage went to hell. Of course, that's gone. Um, and um, I'm 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 farting around. You know, I'm I'm hitting the bottle really bad. Alcohol. I I turned to that with my PTSD from the war. Uh, I, I went and got help when I got home finally after I got high, high, my job. I got a counselor. They diagnosed me with it. They gave me medicine. It was helping at the time. It was just making me very stupid, though. Very lethargic. Kind of, you didn't feel good, but you didn't feel bad. You just kind of felt nothing, which is kind of sometimes worse than feeling bad because you just feel like nothing, like you're a mannequin. Right. Now, for those so, who don't know, because you know, not everybody serves, so PTSD sure. for you, what was it like? Were you panicked a lot? Like, were you constantly thinking? No, I, not panic. I am completely on guard. Right. Okay. I am completely watchful of everything and every movement and every person that comes in and out of my circle. Right. Or in and out of a. I am. I am guarded. I am. I am vigilant. You understand? I watch right. your hands. I want to know what you. You know what I'm saying? I do not like crowds. I avoid them. Loud screams and things like that cannot be around that. Kids playing in a swimming pool screaming cannot be near that. So you can't go to a okay. Van Halen concert then? Oh, no. My concert days are over. Okay. Right? But who, who the fuck wants to go to a concert now? Well, I don't, mean to, I don't mean this day, but yeah. I mean like a who, year ago. Eddie, Eddie Van Halen's dead anyway. Who the fuck wants to see that? Well, David Lee Roth is still around. Well, David is, yeah. You can always see Dave. Simon <laughs> Dave, oh. <laughs> oh, that's my guard dog. Yeah, I was just gonna. I was gonna make a joke about that earlier. It's like all the dogs you work with, and look what kind of dog you have. I don't know what it oh, is, but she's it's a, a, she. You know what it is. You know listen, she's little. Have, listen, she's a she's a miniature pincher. Okay. And there's a there's an old saying in the dog training world: little dog, big problems. Yeah. Because <laughs> their attitudes are huge, and I have an 85 pound service dog that I trained. A German Shepherd, that's mine, and that dog, that dog will stop on a fucking dime if I tell her. Okay, <laughs> right. but this little dog runs and gets in her face and wants to like fight her and attack her sometimes. Right, <laughs> and I'm just, and my big dog looks at me and she's like, "Is this, is this bitch for real?" Right. Like seriously, yeah. you know. So, but she's crazy. But anyway, go um, ahead. I'm sorry. Back to your PTSD. 
so yeah, uh, you know, crowds. Um, I sometimes I disappear mentally for a little bit, but I come back. You know what I mean? I I, I have like thoughts, you know, like intrusive thoughts, bad nightmares, shit like that. That's PTSD. Right. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Which helped me out in the prison because you can't walk as a corrections officer in a prison and not know what the fuck you're doing. Right, right. You can't walk around a prison tier thinking like you're going to go buy milk at the Seven Eleven or the Wawa. Yeah. You understand? Right, you, yeah. You, you walk around like that, you're not going to last long in a max prison. Not right. as an officer. Right, yeah. You're a fucking liability. So actually, PTSD, the symptoms, actually helped me at my job. Because I work bomb detection, police, so I fucking was on alert 24-7, brother. I'm like that anyway. Yeah, gotcha. So, you know what I'm saying? Those guys weren't getting nothing past me, and I knew from experience I wasn't getting nothing past them. You kind of fell into the perfect job then. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And they always told me when I was a kid that I was a piece of shit, and I was going to end up like my dad, and I was going to go to prison. Well, they were right. The only difference is I went to prison as an officer. Not as an inmate. Right. <laughs> but they were right. You know? So, um, what, what was that, TJ? I let, you lost me. You, we were, you, were, you were just starting to become a correctional officer. You were talking about your PTSD, and you yeah. were talking about you know, you're it, starting to drink. Oh, drinking heavily. Medicaid, drinking heavily. Um, the divorce, we go into a vicious divorce, I mean, where there's, you know, a lot of litigation, a lot of money. You know, I'm hemorrhaging money, you know, trying to pay these lawyers off. That's a whole, that's a podcast for another. Yeah, another I, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> but um, from that point, I'm drinking, you know, and then I ended up, uh, we have a lot of infections and things that break out in the prison. And we have been having staff, staff infections uh, in the prison break out for quite some time because we've been under quarantines. And I mean, the, the, the COVID is just running rampant in the prisons right now. Right now, yeah. You know, but before but, you before you go into it, like, did you get a, like, I mean, I know, you know, all the illegal activity that's happened in your life. Did you get a better understanding for prisoners being around them? Or did you? Be, be, no, because my father was an inmate. I was better at my job because I, I knew that everybody was someone's son, right. father, husband, brother. And I carried that with me at work every day. I carried that. So I always treated people no matter what, no matter they could be in there for the most disgusting shit. And believe me, I've, I've had them. And it was always, how are you doing, Mr. So-and-so? <clears throat> you know, ah, F you for like, listen, hello, listen, listen, I just want to help you. I'm not here to bother you. Yeah, I always treated everybody with respect, and I always got it back, and I had no problems with anybody. Right. And that's the truth. You weren't at okay. the same one your dad was at, were you? No, no, no. I okay. was in a max federal prison. Okay, gotcha. Go ahead. I'm okay. sorry. I, I, my, my father was in Trenton, New Jersey State. Gotcha, gotcha. Right. So, but no, and I never had a problem. You give respect, you'll get it. Plus, I have an understanding. My criminal justice experience is a little different. Right, right. You know, coming from where I did. So, okay. So the staff. I understand... Huh? Oh no, I'm just making sure you're on the, so you don't, uh, you know, back to the staff. But go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But well, you know, the problems is, and I see this, I see this uh, throughout America too. But you, you, you're getting when you hire these college kids just to do to do police work, and they have no street smarts. That's why you get these problems. Me growing up in South Philly, like navigating through a prison is like walking to the fucking corner store, bro. Right, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I, you know what I mean? It's like, hey, what's, oh, that guy's trouble. Stay, you know, go on this side of it. You know what I'm saying? Hey, what's going on, man? You know how to walk around certain people. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. A lot of these college kids, these little white, you know, I'm not saying it's a white, but I'm saying I know a lot of these college kids coming from that different world, they have no fucking clue. And they think they could just speak to somebody any way they want to. And they got this little power for the first time because they got a uniform. And look what happens. I.e. friggin' uh, George Floyd. Right. Shit like that happens. Right. You know? Yeah, so, there's always a guy at work that's trying to scare me, and I was like, "Do you understand? Like when I was walking through Philly, not only being legally blind, yeah. walking walking around, if I heard a leaf move, I turned around instantly. Like I was always Absolutely, on guard. Absolutely, man. And that's Absolutely. Philly. That's that. That's what taught me. You know, always yeah. be on guard. And I exactly. And I knew, like I said, I fucking, you know, I I I know that I know when some when someone's trying to fucking make a fucking sucker out of me or bullshit me. Yeah. I know it. Yeah. You know, so I grew up around that. I know you. You're my uncle fucking Frank, motherfucker. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I know you, bro. I, I, I know all about you. Right. You know? So, yeah. you know, that's it. But so I, but a lot of these kids that are coming this from this different generation, the, the social skills aren't there. They're smarter with computers. They're smarter with other things. And it's for them to go and become cops and corrections officers Remember, a cop's got a gun. The corrections officer don't. All right. you have is your your interpersonal skills, your communication skills, and you better have good ones. Because you can get your ass kicked or hurt or killed or get somebody else hurt, killed or killed. You know? Yeah. So, same thing. Okay. So off on that, but yeah. Um, so you were saying staff is breaking through. Me, yeah. That all all that stuff in my life made me a better CEO and. I think if you talk to any inmate I've had, they'll probably agree with you. Right. They'll probably agree with me. Gotcha. I guarantee it. So, no, anyway, bottom line is, I got this, uh, around this time, the divorce is going through all this stuff, bleeding money, all this other shit, right? I give it up on women. Not that I, you know, I didn't change teams or anything I like understand. That. I, I got you. I gave up. We've I all been there. teams. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm going, all right, I'm giving up on all, you know, all this shit. So, I'm like, all right. And then I just meet this beautiful little Colombian girl and she just say, she just changed my world. So now I, 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 I get her. She, her and she moves up here with me up from Miami to Orlando. We fall in love six, seven months. I come home. What's wrong, baby? My eyes are hurt. They're swollen. They're puffed. I don't know. They're all red. They're bloodshot bad. The next morning they're bleeding. They're puffed coming out. Jesus Christ, so I got pink eye. I go to the little medical thing here. They say I have pink eye. They give me pink eye medicine. Doesn't work. Got worse. Three days later, I come back. They test the stuff. My eyes were bleeding, too, in the morning. Um, you know how you get sleep in your eye when you wake up? Right, yeah. Mine was blood. Wow, okay. So um, I'm like, there's something wrong. I, but nothing wrong with my vision, though. It was just it, so... I go back and then they finally test it and they go, oh, you got staphylococcus. And I'm like, oh shit, that makes sense. It's all over the prison. But I was washing my hands. I didn't think, I didn't think, you know, I'm thinking my eye off. So I'm like, all right. So they give me some medicine. I take it. Week, it's like seven days worth of, you know, antibiotics and all this other stuff. And I take it, it goes away and I feel good, no problem. Okay, two months later now, I'm uh, in a hospital paralyzed. And let me tell you how that happened. So that what happened, that staph infection that I thought got cured, it didn't, it just went away 
and temporarily, as it was going through my, as it was going through my eyes, it went through my brain, down my spinal column, and it lodged into my T6, thoracic vertebrae 6. And it caused an infection, caused an abscess. That abscess pushed into my spinal cord. I was experiencing severe back pain uh, for about a month leading up to my getting paralyzed. I went to the emergency room twice for it. They kept taking x-rays and telling me, well, you have a bad back because I had, I had degenerative discs in L2 prior, but this wasn't a lower back pain. This was an upper back pain. Right. Right behind my, my right behind my, my heart. Like literally right behind my heart. And I wake up one I wake up the next morning after I went to the ER the day before. They gave me more pain pills, muscle relaxers. I was drinking a bottle of vodka just now to self medicate mentally, now physically because of this pain. And me being a fucking just a douchebag and not wanting to go to the hospital and always trying to tough things out and not wanting to be a pussy and, you know, all this stuff in the military that they taught me when they would, who's sick today? And you'd have to raise your hand and everybody would be like, oh, you fucking, you know, pussy. And I'd be like, no one says they're sick. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That whole drill sergeant, company commander. No, we don't have no, we don't need no nurses down here. None of our men are sick. You know, all that fucking shit that was ingrained in me. Ended up biting me in the ass. Yeah, the bravado, exactly. So now I wake up in the morning. I cannot feel or move my legs. And I urinated on myself in the bed. My fiance, my girlfriend at the time, calls 911. They come get me. And as stupid as I am and my bravado, I'm thinking, well, they're probably just going to give me a shot. At, you know, it's an allergic reaction, and I'll just walk out of there. Like, it's how fucking stupid I am. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, they're going to give me a shot or maybe give me a pill. My legs will come back. No big deal. Like, so you weren't, think- you weren't panicked at all? Dude, I'm so fucking oblivious to, like, my, this is how- my ego, I was, I thought nothing could kill me. Right. You know, I thought that I, I didn't believe there was one damn thing that could ever harm me. That I was Superman. You know that, how fucking crazy that is? Yeah. Now, does that, does that have to do with all the things you've seen and, and, yeah. and serving and, and all that? That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, fuck that. I can, I can tough this out. This ain't shit. Yeah, I guess if you have you enough, know? if you have enough close calls where things are being shot at you and flown at you, and then you just go, yeah, yeah see, nothing like, can hit me. I'm not scared. Yeah, to me, I said, shit, I ain't worried about fuck it. I ain't worried about it. No, you guys can't kill me. You know, I don't care. No one can stop me. I didn't give a shit. Yeah, if you survive twenty yeah. years of being, you know, around danger, it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. I guess you yeah, could bombs. feel that way. Chasing bombs. Right. Yeah. Who who runs at who runs to a bomb? A nutcase. Who runs away? A sane person. An insane person runs toward the bomb. Right. That's what I did. So to me, this is bullshit. I'm like, ain't nobody. I'm an adrenaline junkie. I love it. If my life's not on the line, fuck. I'm like, oh, you know? And so I I tough through the pain. You know, I'm John Wayne. You know, fuck that. You know? Yeah. We can't can't win the war with this shit. We got to get up that mountain. You know, so, you know, so anyway, I go to the emergency room. Uh, it just so happened I have my, my KIA bracelet, my, my memorial bracelet on my hand. 
that I wear for a dog handler that got killed in Iraq that I knew. And here we go. I see a young doctor. He comes in and he looks at me. He sees the bracelet and he's in real good shape. You know, one of them friggin', you know, what are they fucking, what are Pilates guys or whatever <laughs> they do today? I don't know yeah. what you kids do today. Pilates or whatever the fuck. Yoga is. or whatever, yeah. Nah, yo, what's the other thing? Pilates and then there's another thing too. Zumba, whatever. Oh, Zumba, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's in great shape, you know. He's got his hair all slicked back. You know, he's probably banging 12 or 13 nurses in this fucking hospital. So, <laughs> right. So he goes to me, he goes, where'd you serve? What unit? I said, I was in this unit, blah, 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 but I'm Navy. I was serving with the Army. He goes... I was a Navy doctor, and I had to, I served with the Army for a year at the in Baghdad Memorial Hospital, which was a fucking butcher shop. That's where the ER there in Baghdad during that time. Those doctors that worked there, you know that they, they, they had a documentary on HBO about it. That ER in Baghdad during the war was a was a butcher shop. There was body parts going in and out of that place, dead bodies and everything. Wow. So. When he was a doctor there, he's an emergency room doctor in the civilian, but he's a Naval Reserve officer, a doctor in the Navy Reserves. He was a commander, a, you know, a high-ranking officer. Right. So he immediately comes and puts me to the head of the line, and he's like, boom, 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 get him an x-ray. I'm like, I'm like, hey, sir, I had two x-rays in the last month with this thing. He's like, you had an x-ray. We're going to do it anyway, actually, but we're going to do an MRI, too. And... I remember sitting with my girl and I had to pee so bad, but I'm completely, I can't pee. My, I just have no control over my bladder. It just won't. I have all this pressure, but I cannot control. So I'm thinking, oh my God, they're going to hit me with a catheter in my penis. Please God. No. I mean, this is like my worst fear, bro. I'd rather get the fucking guillotine. <laughs> fucking this, right? Yeah. And That's I'm the like, man in you, by the way. Like we, bro. There's so I'm many like, things that you should have feared before that, but then I'm like, I am. I'm like, I can't pee. I'm trying. Listen, I'm literally in a high emergency room trying to pee my pants to relieve myself because I did not want them to hit me with that catheter, bro. Right. I was scared to death of it. I'd rather go to the electric chair, get my fucking head cut off. Right. I don't want them coming near me with that, right? right? Yeah. The nurse comes to me. She's like, "Oh no," and and she snatched it up like she was snatching a friggin' goldfish out of a fucking. <laughs> and she shoved that tube and I just felt the most relief I felt in like forever it, oh, was, wow. like, it was like 10 orgasms like the, the pee that just came out my bladder was going to explode I hadn't peed in hours 12 hours wow so oh my god so next thing I know the doctor runs back he goes Robert listen I called the helicopter I got a surgeon. I just briefed him on the phone, waiting for you. We're going to get you there right now. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? I got my, my girl there. She's like, he goes, Robert. I go, I, I was like, what, what's going on? He goes, Robert, listen, the bottom part of your body, don't worry about it. I'm worried about your top. You're going to lose what you've got right now if I don't get you to the hospital. I was like, oh, shit. Then it just came down. It's real. Now, when you, you said when you said you're paralyzed, like was it your entire body? Below the waist. Just below the waist. Okay, so you can move your arms yeah. and everything. Yes, everything from my belly button up was alive. Okay, gotcha. All right. Um, and below and below the belly button, I couldn't even feel. It was like jello hitting jello, what, <laughs> what, like that. Right. So, 
Um, next thing I know, I'm in, boom, I'm in an emergency room right away. I, I got my eyes open. I walk right in. There's a doctor. He's got a beard. Did you ever watch the movie Jaws? One of the most fucking terrifying movie ever made. It terrified me to this day. Okay. Do you remember Richard Dreyfuss in the movie? Uh-huh. He played the scientist that would right. look for the shark. He had the beard. Yep, yep. Okay, well, I'm older, so I remember movies like that, okay? I don't remember Transformers with Mark Wahlberg, okay? I understand. So I, Jaws is I a way better movie. This. Exactly. I go back to that, and I pull from my memory. He looked like Richard Dreyfuss in Jaws. He had the beard, the one's like, it's a shark, all that crazy fucking... Yeah, yeah. So um, he's looking at me, and he goes, Mr. Faro, you're never going to walk again. I have to go in there, cut your back open, and remove this medical term for basically a an infection that became such a big mountain of pus that it leaked into my spinal cord. Ab says something, blah, 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 whatever. And I have to cut into your spine and I have to clean it out as best as I can. But everything that is hurt, that is damaged now is gone and it's going to continue. And I, uh, uh, and, and if it continues more, I would have to intu- put an intubation tube in you because you're not going to be able to breathe for yourself. And I was like, I looked over at the, the anesthesiologist because she was asking me my weight like this lady. And I said, listen, I want you to overdose me. Don't worry about my weight. I want you to give me enough that you would put down an elephant. That's how much I want. But actually, I want double that. I don't want to wake up. And the lady's like, um, like looking and she's pretty like, she's now listen to me. And I got paramedics and I got this doctor and they're pushing me into the ER. Everybody's got their mask, you know, the mask on and it's like mesh, right? And I'm like, fuck, I'm going in there. And I'm like, listen, I'm telling the lady, I'm like, listen, I don't want to fucking wake up. You hear me? And as soon as I said that, they parked me, put, I felt them lock the, the bed chair in, the screen came over and the guy shot the stuff, the IV was in me, he shot the stuff in the bag inside the the line and I was gone like three five seconds later oh yeah that's some good shit uh, yeah so from that point I, I woke up in the hospital the next morning I was wrapped like a mummy like King Tut I had a tube in my ass a tube in my penis and I was wrapped up completely like a mummy with eight bandages bro yeah, like I've been there. That, remember what I told you when all my skin burned yeah, off? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I ain't telling somebody. I'm not talking to a rookie. I got it. I got you, buddy. So, um, my girl's there. I open my eyes to her. I'm like, what's going on? Did the doctor say anything? And she's like, ah, she's crying. She's like, ah, ah, we'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it later. And I'm going, fuck. And then later I found out he did tell her that. He told her the same thing. I would never walk again. And she's Colombian, you know, so she's there and she's just like, I mean, we've been together now for, we've been together for eight months. We've been living together for three at the time. So this was a whole new romance, whole new relationship. And here I am now. She moved from Miami to here with me. Here I am now. I'm fucking paralyzed, right? So... I wake up, and now from that point, I said to myself, I said to her, listen, you didn't sign on for this. You didn't sign up for this. I understand. I want you to go back home to your mom, and I'm sorry that I wasn't able to, you know, that this happened. It wasn't my fault, but, you know, you got to go. You got to leave me, you know, because I'm going to need care. 
you know, round the clock to help me change and all this other shit and wipe my ass and all this shit. And, and she was like, she, she grabbed me. She's like, I'm not going anywhere. You know? And I'm like, yeah, but you're, you know, five foot two, 120 pounds. Like I'm six foot one, 240. Right. Okay. And I'm, I'm not, I was, I'm not fat. You know what I'm saying? No, I got you. You know, but, but I'm, I'm, I, you know, I weight lift, I do MMA, all this shit. Been doing it my whole life, wrestling. So I was like, wow, you know, and, and from that point, you know, it was just, she, she completely just saved my life. She, she, I was in the hospital for three months. Everything those nurses did, they trained her. They taught her. She wasn't a medical person by trade. They taught her how to change me, how to bathe me, how to clothe me, how to wipe my ass how to wash me in the bed, how to put the catheter in my penis, my medicine cycles. Listen to me. I was in the hospital three months and this woman got an education. She got a nursing degree in, in three months. Yeah. And so, and that is love uh, by the way, because most people, oh, most people I, don't do that kind oh, of shit. You can't, that's what I'm saying. You can't uh, listen from that point forward. I surrendered my life to her. Yeah, you it, have was, to. it was it. I, I was like, I, I can't, you know, like, so, and now I just can't imagine my life without her or how I got to this point. So without her, but anyway, so I'm there and, and, and three months, they finally get, they finally send us home. And, you know, I had to change apartments. I was living on the top floor. So she had to handle all this shit, the moving, all that, you know. Um, my job, of course, I couldn't work. They had to, you know, medically retire me, disability. Plus, I had my military, so money really wasn't. And of course, they, like I said, thank God that I served in the military and that I had a job that gave me insurance because my bills were over a million dollars, but they paid them. And 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 I think about those other people that didn't have that. Oh my God, this could have happened to anybody in this country, this country that I love, that I risked my life for. But if you're poor and you get sick, you're fucked. Right. And, and that's not cool, man. No. No matter what political party you're in, that's not fucking cool, man. No. So, um, I thank God I was in the position where I was, you know, I wasn't worried. If I was uh, right now without all that, please forget it. My mom, you know, she's retired. She don't have much. You know, she has a little little condo. You know, she couldn't. What was she going to do? Sell her condo and come live in my... I would have to... I don't know. I would have been in a uh, actually. I would have been in a veterans nursing home. And if I didn't, if I wasn't a vet, I would have been a, in a state nursing home, probably getting COVID. Right. So, um, uh, so from that, well, you know, we went home, and she wants to do therapy every day with me. And the first couple of days and everything, I'm just like, nah, I don't want to do no fucking therapy. I I want to get a gun and just blow my brains out. You know, I don't want to. You know, they got me on all these pain pills. I'm taking all my, 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 all my, you know, the, my mental uh, conditions gotten worse. I got the more depressed. I was just, it was just the worst. It was the darkest period of my life. And, um, I, I was in the depths of, 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 of depression and hell. And, and, and it was just, everything was crashing down on me. My, 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 my career was gone. I had a divorce, you know. The marriage, you know, my house, I owned a big house. I had the truck and the bike. Those were all gone. You know, all that stuff. My net worth was friggin' cut in half. 
Not that I was some millionaire, but you know, all that was gone, literally. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm in a pretty bad state, you know, but I got my Lucy and my angel there. And, you know, and she's trying to, she's like, you know, okay, come on, we got to go to therapy. And, you know, I, I enrolled in the VA in Tampa. I said, I need therapy. And they're like, okay, we're going to come down and send a van to get you. So I had that, thank God. So <clears throat> just as I go to one, I remember I'm not moving anything. Now. I come home from the hospital after three months, nothing moving. I'm not feeling anything. Um, I go to therapy. I go to therapy one day and guess what happens? They call me the next day and say, this virus called COVID is coming and we have to temporarily shut down just for a week or so, maybe until it blows over. That was the last phone call they gave me. Right. So now, so now here I am. Uh, it's her and I, and uh, we say, she's trying to motivate me. Robert, Robert, you're going to move. You're going to walk again. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Is and she I, the I only reason why you really were still alive? Like, was that the only thing that was keeping you going? There was two things keeping me alive. Two things. One, the, mo the most important one was my mom told me that if I killed myself, that means that she would have had three children die. And then she, since I was the last one, by me doing that to myself, I was killing her because she was going to take her life the moment she finds out that I took mine. Wow. So I would have to, I would be responsible for her. So if I can live with that. That's a lot of fucking pressure. Yes. Then, obviously, Lucy. Yeah, that's crazy. And I'm, I know you I know you love your mother, so that's... Of course. Yeah, of course. That's kind of... So, yeah. um, anyway, caught between a rock and a hard place, huh? Pretty much. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I was a desperate man, TJ. Oh, I hear you close, close friends to know what happened to me. I didn't tell anybody because I'm from the mentality of when you're, when you have a weakness, you don't show it to the pact. You go somewhere, you hide, you recover, and then you come back. You don't ever show weakness in front of people. Right. That's my way. That's the way, that's my world. That's what that taught me. So when I'm hurt, nobody fucking knows it because I want to make sure that you don't know that I'm vulnerable. You understand? Yeah. Because me, in my mind, the street mentality is you're not going to come, you know, break into my house and try to hurt me or take something from me. That's my street mentality. You understand? The bravado. Bravado, yeah. So I don't want no one to know I'm hurt. Right? Matter of fact, I told, I spread a rumor that I left the country. Oh, wow. Okay? So, because immediately I stopped work. People from my work are like, what the fuck happened to Farrell? Like, what? The inmates were asking, like, what happened? And they thought I friggin' I like, you know, I retired and left the country. So, but really I was paralyzed. So, that's just the way I am. And uh, <clears throat> so from that, here we are, we're, um, what, the YouTube? <clears throat> I'm learning from YouTube. We're, um, I'm learning how to do all kinds of transfers from the bed to the wheelchair, the wheelchair to the toilet, the toilet to the to the car, all this shit, just so I can get out of my bed. I'm completely bedridden, by the way. And Lucy is, of course, bathing me, feeding me, clothing me, changing me, all that. Front and back, and cathetering me. 
okay? So my around-the-clock caregiver. Um, from that, uh, she it went on for about four and a half months. So I hadn't. So I did three in the hospital, and then four months at home without any movement. However, I was doing physical therapy with Lucy using YouTube from my bed to the wheelchair and stuff like that. But I didn't go out in public. I refused because I was ashamed. Right. I really was. Right. So I was like, okay, okay, okay. So I remember her saying, you can't just stay here the rest of your life. I'm like, oh, fucking yeah, I am. Everything now is COVID now. Everything's, you know, dining, you know, bring the food to you. You don't have to. So I'm thinking, hey, perfect timing for me. Right. <laughs> in my crazy fucking mind. So... Uh, so one thing, and I said, well, listen, I ain't going outside until I at least, you know, get a little movement in my body. Nothing's coming back. And then, and then, you know, Lucy says prayers. Her mother says prayers for me. I was raised Catholic. They're Catholic. And I'm going, I'm not going to pray because for me to get on my knees right now and ask God for something, I'd be a hypocrite because I never asked him for anything. And now now that I'm down on my luck, I want to get down and kiss his butt. You know what I mean? And act like I'm a good boy, but I'm not. When I didn't, my behavior didn't show that. Right. So I'm like, I don't deserve any mercy from him. Matter of fact, by begging for mercy, I'm thinking I'm offending him even more. I'm insulting him even more. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and not ask for shit. So once again, bravado and street mentality, right? Uh Uh-huh. So... Convict mentality is what the inmates would call it. So I'm like, all right. Then I said, how about, how about if I start asking for other people, like this COVID thing that's coming? Uh, it's supposed to be coming from like, you know, I guess it was coming through Mexico at the time, from China, but like coming through Mexico or something. And it, it, was that correct or not? I believe so, yeah. I mean, it- yeah, I remember, you know, so, and, 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 you know, this was at the beginning. This is April, March, April, May. So then I'm like, all right. Oh, by the way, my, my injury happened once again on my birthday, November 27, 2019. My brother's suicide and my injury. So let's say you don't look forward to your birthdays then. Well, wait, check this out. No, I don't. But wait, wait, check this out. Lucy and I are getting married. Guess what day? <laughs> on your birthday? <laughs> she said, I'm giving, she says, I'm giving you your, your birthday back. There you go. Happy anniversary. How about that? That's awesome. Good for right? her. Yeah. So now it's not my birthday. It's my anniversary. Yeah. See? My birthday fucking sucks. My anniversary is great. Right. <laughs> All right. So, see, it's all how you make it, man. Every every dark cloud has a silver lining, right? Yes, so, sir. Life is what you make them. You know what I'm saying? We make our own, create our own fucking narrative, right? Yeah, you have to. So, um, I damn sure ain't gonna let nobody else create it for me. Well, and there's so, there's really no one coming to save you anyway. No one gives a shit. Nah. Not, yeah. not 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 that because it's you, but just in general, like no one cares about what yeah. we, we're going through. Like they just, no. you got the no. few people that really care, and you really see. Honestly, I'm and I'm sure you know, especially with your girl and your mom, and I'm sure you got to see who really gave a shit about you when oh, you're at your worst. Boy, let me tell you, bro. This 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 spinal injury has been the best thing that ever happened to me. It turned out I I got to know true love, what it looks like, what it feels like. True treachery, treachery. Who my friends are, who are who are not my real friends. 
Right. You understand? Everything got revealed. My whole political outlook changed. Right. Because when these power-hungry people get they get power, guess what? Their troops' colors come out, and then they want to cancel your Thanksgiving and your Christmas. Yep. Okay, not me. I don't live on my knees, motherfucker. <laughs> I hear so, you. Um, uh, so, bottom line, we're here we are, four months, we're doing our own therapy, nothing, still not moving. Next thing I know, out of nowhere, Lucy and I are talking. It gets a little heated. I was a little upset. I was feeling down again, pissed off. I'm asking for God to help every to help the COVID. I'm like, Lord, just take care of the COVID and 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 and, and leave me alone. I'll handle this myself. That's basically what I was saying every night. Just just take care of the COVID. That's what I was saying. Mm-hmm. I'll take care of myself. I'm not asking for nothing. So. I'll worry about myself. And then out of nowhere, my big toe on my left foot, we were, we, we were actually in the middle of an argument. And the next thing I know, I look, and my toe starts wiggling on my left foot. And she's looking at me, and she's like, you know, waiting to like, you know, answer me back, because I was in a bad <laughs> mood. And I'm, I look down at my toe, and she's looking at me, and I'm like this, like, like this. And then she looked and saw my toe, and then we looked at each other, and it was just like the most, uh, uh, it was just a, uh, an emotional, miraculous moment. Of course, you know, it yeah. Was a tre- it was a tremendous moment. It was, it was, it was I, uh, something I, I could never, I could, I, I've never felt like since, or probably will never feel like, uh, you know, then. Now, did you ever go to the negative, you know, spectrum of it where it's like oh well this is just like a blip on the radar but in general it's not anything it's just a toe no no wait here's what i did my outlook kind of changed oh and my mind started being rehabilitated a little bit now i'm at my, my one toe starts wiggling the pinky toe so now i look and i say okay you know what if that's the only thing that comes back, I'm happy. How about that? That's awesome. Because they said nothing, I would never walk again. Right. They said I would never move again. Nothing. Something did come back. My little, well, it's kind of a big toe, but it's a stubby big toe. That toe started talking. And that toe was my one simple act of defiance. And that's what proved them wrong. That's what tipped the scale for me. Flipping them off with your toe. Yes. That was my way of saying get fucked. (laughs) Yeah. To that that doctor. Because he had a smug look on his face when he told me that. So, from there, I said, you know what? If nothing else works, whatever, I'm happy. I just slayed the giant. So... Next thing I know, my calf started moving. Then my butt cheek on my right side. All these little things were coming back to life. They were just coming back to life like a, like a puzzle in different spots and different pieces. No, as like, little... like as one, like as your thigh, your butt cheek, like as these are going, the, the others that already had come, they're still working too? Like your big toe still wiggling? Oh yeah, but it's getting stronger. Right, okay, gotcha. So they're waking up basically. Mm-hmm. And... And I'm like, whoa. But I'm in tremendous, tremendous pain. They split me down my back. They split me in half, man, like a lobster. 
Right. And tremendous pain. Pain like I've never felt in my life. And I, they had me on Oxycontin, all these pills. I completely told them no more. I weaned myself. I actually went through withdrawals for like three days. I was sweating in the bed. I had the room 70 degrees. I was sweating. I was shaking because they had me on three pills a day, Oxycontin, all this bullshit. It was making me constipated. It was horrible. So from there, I started, I started, just started going Tylenol, Motrin, and Tramadol, you know, if I really needed it. Right. My pain was excruciating, uh, even to the point sometimes where I would, I, well, it's pain, but it's also, um, uh, they're called um, um, spasms right. that you get. You get these muscle spasms when you have a spinal injury or you're paralyzed. And these muscle spasms, they're very painful. Think of a bodybuilder, how they have to flex for hours and pose. Mm -hmm. That's what your muscles do. Your, your muscles literally go to war with the rest of your body. Whatever, if it's your, whatever, if it's your lower half or your upper half, whichever your, your injury site is or area it affects, it just, it, that part of your body goes to war against itself. And it wins. And they're very painful. And they're exhausting. And they gave me a, a medication called Baclofen, which is a, a major, major powerful nerve blocker. And this nerve blocker would incapacitate me to the point where I would lay down, look up at the ceiling, and I would literally tell myself, you're going to forget how to breathe. That's how, I, that's how powerful this thing blocks your nerves. Whereas you're terrified because you're breathing and you can hear yourself inhaling and exhaling and you're like, I'm going to forget how to breathe. I'm going to forget. Like, you're like literally your brain, it, it, it's terrifying. Terrifying. So uh, with all that, um, I, things start coming back. I'm in a lot of pain. Uh, like I said, everything, every piece that came back, it was a gift. And I just kept praying for people to get through COVID. I was just asking for other people. I wasn't, still wasn't asking for myself. Still won't. So everything starts coming back. Now it gets to the point where now one day I wake up in the morning and I, and I, and I have to go, you know, I have to get catheter to pee. And I'm going to get graphic with some of this. No, nah, go ahead, dude. It's your story. Please do what you got to so, do. It just so happened. I'm getting ready to get cathetered. And I said, you know what? You know, give me that bottle. I got the bottle, and now I urinated on my, my I urinated by my, you know, uh, of my own. I urinated myself, basically. And I urinated in the bottle, and then I, you know, I'm like, fuck. How did I, I made myself urinate? I haven't done that in eight, nine months. Like, like, fuck. And when I went and told the doctor that I didn't need the catheter anymore, they were fucking shocked. They were like, what? You don't use a catheter anymore? No. Who took it out? I did. Why? Because I had to pee. And I can pee now. Can you hold it? Yeah. Sometimes, like, if, I, like if I'm like, now I'm starting to do, like, physical therapy, but if I, at the beginning, my bladder had to be strengthened, but I, I'm controlling it fully. They were fucking shocked. They were like, what? Yeah. Everything, my bowel movements came back. Everything came back, man. And now I was like, oh my goodness, this is for real. It opens like up a lot of possibilities. 
oh my god my all of a sudden i was like oh my god but there was one thing holding me back my ptsd and the pain the pain the physical pain because i'm thinking if all this is coming back and i put myself through intensive therapy i can make a comeback bigger hmm. than tyson <laughs> tyson, wasn't make, tyson wasn't making a comeback then i did it before him right so um <laughs> I was like, shit, my mind just started thinking. And then I'm like, but I'm in so much pain when I do this therapy. I could barely, you know, standing up as I'm just trying to stand up and like do like dips and on my back. It was so painful. Now, where are we at and in the year when this has happened? Like, what, where are we at? Because, you know, this is, we're talking 2020. So what, what, where are we at this at this point? This was 19. This was 19. 2019 this is? No, 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 no. This was 2020. Sorry. My right. accident was November 19. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This was, okay, wait. November... This was like June, July. When you're able to pee and, and you're having your PTSD. Yes. And, okay, gotcha. Yes. Because, you know, that's the thing that you have to make clear. Like, I think people just expect, like, oh, you're just going to tell this, like, happy story, like, happy ending. And it's not that it's, it is happy what you're going yes. through, but you're still currently dealing with all this shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not out of the woods. No, right. No. This is, the, you know, this so, is only yeah. like five months ago that we're talking about. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got gotcha. oh, you. Yeah. Gotcha. So, you know, and I'm making, I'm making strides every day, dude. I mean, I, I mean, I'm like I said, but anyway, but the pain was hurting me. The pain was holding me back from training. Right. Yeah, there was sometimes I just couldn't even, I couldn't even get out of bed and sit up because of my spasms and pain, dude. So I said, I got to find a way to deal with this, but I can't, de you know, I, there, there's no magic. I either got to gut it out and here I go again, the bravado, am I going to put on or take drugs no i don't want to they make me feel terrible i can't so i'm between a rock and a hard place so i'm pushing myself again pain going through the pain and then i had a friend uh that i've known a long long time and he was a pothead back in in, in you know when he was like 13 14 years old and we used to make fun of him because when i went to school i'm a product of the nancy reagan just say no Right. Okay, say no to drugs. I saw what it did to my family members going to prison. I saw what it did to my brother. You didn't have to tell me drugs were bad. I locked people up for drugs. I was anti-drugs. Right. right. Yep. So, um, so now here we are, and my buddy comes over to see me, and of course my my beautiful my beautiful uh, wife to be, she completely stages the whole room where they don't even know how bad I am. Where I'm sitting up in a chair. Like I'm, like I'm friggin' Franklin Roosevelt. Remember, like you see pictures of him, but they uh -huh. never saw him in a wheelchair. Right, right, right. And I, I was like, I was like, baby, please, I don't want them to know I'm as bad as I am. And she's like, okay, because I didn't want no one to know. I've known this guy a long time. I don't want him to, you know, how you doing, Rob? I'm all right. I'm making progress. Just need rehab. That's all. Ha huh, huh. You know, like blowing it off and shit, right? Because here's, you know, here's my friggin' ego, right? So, um. So basically, he comes in, and, and I'm, sit, I'm sitting in the chair, which was fucking killing me, by the way, because my, my back is all, you know, stiff, made, you know, I'm made to sit up and keep it straight, because I want to project this, you know, thing, and uh, he sees that I'm uncomfortable, he could see, and he's like, well, well, what are they giving you? You know, and I used to make fun of him, because he was a stoner, and believe it or not, this was like in 1990, 1992, or whatever, this kid told me. One day, Rob, they're going to legalize marijuana. He said that to me. I'm like, I used to go, you're fucking crazy. 
Now I call him a prophet. <laughs> yeah. That's what they just did. Now he's a prophet, right? So I'm like, all right. He goes to me, he goes, listen, I have something I believe will really help you. And I'm like, I'm thinking, what's this dude fucking talking about? I <laughs> hear, you know, because he's always been like kind of, he's a, he's a martial artist. He's kind of like, you know, the Steven Seagal type of guy. He was always into like Buddhism and all this other shit, you know? Right, right. So, you know, he's, but he's my, one of my closest buddies, right? Do you know who Joe Rogan is? Yeah. Okay, that's basically like him. Like he smoked pot, but he's, he's yeah. a black belt. He, you know, he. Yeah, he's yeah, into everything. And my, friend, and my friend was a black. My friend's a black belt too. In um, in um, is it uh, Goju? Goju Karate. He's a black belt. Okay. So he was, you know, he was always, you know, but into like that Buddha Zen shit, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, and I, we would always joke and whatever at him when we were kids. But anyway, he says to me, Rob, I think I have something. And that's how he talks. He talks like a real low kind of voice like that, just like Steven Seagal. Yeah. And I'll be, he would lean over into my ear and he would be like, Rob. I have to. I have something I know that would help you. Anybody who knows this guy that would hear this podcast would would just be laughing right now because I'm. So, um, he slips me something in my hand as he walks out the door, and I'm sitting in the couch. You know, I'm there, and I got to keep my cat on my lap like I'm the friggin' Godfather. And um, <laughs> he slips me something in my hand, and it's it's in a baggie. You know, like a little, you know, a little uh, a bag. You know, a plastic bag. And I'm sitting there, and I'm crumbling it in my hand. I'm like, what is this? So I, I open it, and it's, it's you know, a bag of weed. You know, a little bag of weed. And he says, um, I said, what the fuck, man? You give me, you know, he, he's, he's in the car, and I, I call him up. I'm like, bro. You know, he goes, no, listen. Listen to me. I want you to, I want you to put it in the, um, he rolled, what he did was in the bag, there was, there was weed, but there was one rolled that he had in there. He right. rolled one. So... He said, I had the bag, and he, he put it, and he held it, and, and he left, and I opened it, and there it was. It was the joint roll, but it was some other, some more there with rolling papers in there. And he's like, just smoke that. Trust me, what have you got to lose? You're not in the service anymore. You're not in, working in the prison. What the fuck you got to lose? They've been pumping you with morphine. They've been pumping you with oxycontin. I, and I'm thinking, yeah, but man, as soon as I smoke this, I'm going to put a needle in my arm. I know it. This is what this stuff does. <laughs> Like, man, that's all fucking bullshit, man. Because it's always I been said that it was the I, gateway I, I drug. I've put a needle in my arm. I've been doing it for 30 years. Right. So I'm like, all right. So here I am with my, my girlfriend. And my girlfriend had a little experience with it, you know, more than me. Younger, you know. So she goes, come here, baby. And, and then we light it up and I, and I smoke it. And, bro, within like 15, 20 minutes, I am just, where have you been my whole life? <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god! I just like, where? Ha like, you're you're the missing piece. My, you just this this cannabis completely freed was the key to unlock the prison my brain had been sitting in. You know what I mean? All those years, and I was like, wow! And I was in a good mood, and I felt optimistic, and I was able to relax and just, you know, have a good night's sleep. It helped me mentally with my pain. It was like, I was, I was relaxed. I just had this feeling of just, just like, I want to say like this warm feeling. It was like a buzz and that's what they call it. And it's just a buzz and it was just beautiful. 
and it temporarily took my mind away from my situation. But it also made me look at my situation in a more positive way. And I said, oh my God. And then I called my friend, I said, dude, you're right. This is what I need, this is the missing. He goes, bro, listen, next time I come back, I'll be back next week, and I'm gonna bring you some CBD, and we're gonna roll some CBD along with the cannabis, and we're gonna smoke that. That'll attach to your pain receptors, and it helps regulate your pain. It'll help you with your pain from all your back pain and your nerve pain. And and and, and I was, he's like, it's got great benefits. And I'm like, and then with the can with the THC, that helps you with your uh, PTSD. Now remember what I told you earlier. I was a bottle a day Tito's alcoholic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The only reason why I wasn't drinking is because I couldn't. I couldn't walk. So guess who? Can, guess who? My alcohol and beverage control department supervisor was my your, girlfriend. Your girlfriend, right? And there ain't no way she's gonna be my friggin' bartender by by me. She wasn't gonna play that shit. You understand? Uh, good for her. So yeah. So. And every now and then, since I got home, maybe on a Friday, I would be like, come on, baby, just go get us a little bottle and a beer, and I would drink and blah, 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 but a little bit. She kept me on a tight leash. So from the moment I, and then from the moment I started using cannabis, I never had the desire to take another drink again. All right. And that was a benefit that I did not even, wasn't even looking for. And it was like, I don't need this. Like, I have no desire to drink alcohol. And it wasn't like I wanted to go to AA and I wanted to get a button and go, I've been here 198,000 days and I'm an alcoholic. It wasn't like, I, it was like, wow. It just completely weaned me off. I was like, I don't need that. I have cannabis. I take a couple, you know, hits of that or maybe eat an edible or do some drops, THC and CBD drops like I do in the morning. And I'm straight, right? So, but... Now, when I got the CBD, when I went to, I got my medical marijuana license, I went and got a license after that, of course, and I got the, the, the blend of the CBD and the THC in a drop, and what I discovered was, is when I got up in the morning and I would drop that under my tongue, my spasms would start going away. Wow. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. My pain... I mean, it controlled my pain. Of course, there's still pain there, but it controls it. Now, only only when you when you got the mixture drop of CBD and and hemp. What do you mean? Um, well, because you you were already smoking joints. Yeah. But mm -hmm. it it uh it helped it a lot better when you took the drops of CBD and the marijuana together because you can get you can get CBD without THC. But once you mix yeah, it, you're yeah. saying it's a lot stronger and it, it, was, it was more effective. Yes, because I, because you got to remember, I take it for mental and physical. Right, okay? right. And I think everybody's just afraid to tell you the truth. I like to get high. I like the euphoric feeling, TJ. Right. Okay? So I wouldn't, if I'm taking CBD, there's going to be THC in there. Because I have, because if your body ain't, your mind ain't healthy, who fucking cares about your body? Right, yeah, exactly. Okay, so I, I'm doing it for mental health reasons, but yes, it also helps regulate my pain, and with the CBD mixture in it, it helps really greatly regulate my pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the CBD did help me with my seizures. That was, 
the, the THC, if I got up in the morning and I smoked, it would calm me down quick as far as my body. It would relax me, but I would still have these, I would still have these, excuse me, that's your spasms, okay? The drops with the CBD and the THC, that's what helped my spasms, okay? And then you can also take it in a vape too. You can have a ratio, a one for one, CBD and, and THC. I use that too in the morning as well. Wow, okay. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Yeah. So, and um, so from there, uh, now here I am, one year from my accident, November 27th was one year. And now that I got my pain regulated, I have my mental health problem regulated. Uh, it, you, you can never say cured. You're never cured. Right, right. Okay, so I just say, how about managed, under control? Right. Okay, which is regulated. So, under control, the alcohol, I'm, I'm not drinking. Uh, I'm now walking on a walker. Um, I'm standing. I could stand up on my own. I could hold it for 10, 15 minutes without moving. If I move, I use my walker, you know, and it started with, you know, one step at a time. I had to... I started training in my swimming pool uh, during the summer and um, I would wheel myself out from my apartment and everyone in the neighborhood saw that I was trying to walk again and it was like my journey. They would see me wheel myself and push to the pool and go from the chair to the swimming pool and do squats in the, you know, in the deep end where there's no gravity and work on the form of my walking. I had videos of all this. People were, people were like, you got to document this. I said, okay. So, I mean, I was doing my own therapy here. Everything, you know, I was going to the, you know, I started going therapy back at the VA when the COVID thing went down. I was doing all my own therapy and things by the, you know, thanks by the grace of God, things are going great, man. It's, it's been, you know, it's not smooth sailing, no. but, you know, it, it, it's, it's a struggle every day, physically and mentally. It's a struggle. And, but with, like I said, the cannabis in my life, it, 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 it's not, it's not, it's not a, you know, it's a winnable battle. It's winnable. You know what I mean? I am winning. Well, you know, with the yeah. You know, on top of that, like we we all look for things to be happy and to look forward to. You know, even if it's like an Amazon package or whatever. But you literally yeah. have something because, like, it seems like you're unlocking a new body part every couple weeks or a month or whatever. It's like yeah. you actually are, are trying to figure out what your limitations are. Um, exactly, because my story's still being written. And you were told and that you basically were I would limited. Never get nothing. Not yeah. Basically, I would never. Yeah, never. you right. And you're you're you know the big toe thing was great, but now it's like you're literally walking and doing squats. I and mean, again, it's still a struggle. You're still having to do a walker and all. But I'm it's like a walker, yeah. And I use my chair. You know, if I'm going play, you know, whatever. But now I could use a walker. I can get up in the morning. Take my my drops. First thing I do, open my eyes. I put a couple drops under my tongue. I start spasming because the mornings when your muscles don't work, like if you, I get you get spasms for either not working the muscle or overworking the muscles. Right. So if you go to bed at ten o'clock at night and you wake up at seven, you're going to be waking up to some serious spasms because your muscles have been sitting there. Now, if this final, if this was like. If, if we can just say, you know, if we just can predict the future and just say, this is how the rest of your life's going to be. You're not going to get any better at all. Could you live like this? Are you happy? Let me tell you something, brother. I was happy with the toe. Right. That's what I was trying to get and to, right? Every, every week 
or that I do something more like every week it's like Christmas it's like Christmas every like when things started like working like popping in all different places dude I would go to bed at night and be like what's Santa gonna leave for me under the tree tomorrow when I wake up right is it gonna be is it gonna be my little toe on my left foot that don't want to move yet like I was like wow right right and it was so exciting and now I'm like shit I could walk 10 10 paces with the walker I could sit in the walker rest up walk another 10 and I'm like maybe I could walk 11 today maybe I can actually walk and while I turn actually turn with the with the walker and be able to shit to pivot right you know? yeah so every day I'm doing you know what I'm saying so to me I'm just gonna ride this car to the wheels fall off bro that's what you gotta that's do what I'm gonna do there's no fucking ceiling, as far as I'm concerned. I haven't hit it, and I don't plan on hitting it. If I run a marathon next year, 26K, it ain't enough. You can make the case that the wheels already fell off. You're just riding on spokes at this point, but you're still going. I'm going to go I'm gonna go until my body says, no, nah, man. Right. This time, I'm going to listen. Yeah, do all the right things. I always say, like, you know how you were with your bravado, like you weren't going to go to the hospital. Like, I always say, like, I... I relate a lot more to the people that are like a hypochondriac than I do the people that are just denying any type of medical help because when, when you actually go through something as tragic as we've gone through, like you can't, there's no turning back. Like now everything you have to be alert because one little thing, like a little staph infection, which most people don't take seriously because I mean, people lose their legs to that kind of shit, but getting it in your eye and it travels down your spine, like most people have never heard of that. And it's like, exactly. it can it's change rare. your whole life. It can ruin your yeah. whole life. It could kill you. It could do many so things. Rare. Yeah, it's so rare. But then, you know, <clears> what's crazy. It's so rare um, that actually, it was so rare that when I told my story, somebody actually knew a person through a person that that same thing happened to. I was right. like, really? Yeah, right. the same thing. He had an abscess and it caused an infection and, par- and partially paralyzed. I'm like, yeah. It totally paralyzed me. See, first they diagnosed me. I was totally. Then what they do is you're either complete or incomplete in in spinal injuries. If you have no movement or what have you, you are incomplete. Right. Okay? If you start movement or feeling, now you're considered incomplete. So I moved from a complete to an incomplete. And that's the amazing thing that I was even able to do that or even able to move. Yeah. It's a miracle. And I told you on the, on, the, on the phone, you know, TJ, I feel like I got gypped because God gave me a miracle, right? But all these other miracles he gave to people in the Bible, he gave them what? Pomp and circumstance. Yeah. He gave them the angel talking to him or the burning bush. I didn't get it yet. Yeah. And I'm like, darn, you know? I, I, I want it. I'm like, please, I want that. You know? You got the legendary hey, toe wiggle. Yeah, that, exactly. I got, I got, yeah, I got a toe wiggle. I was <laughs> like my burning bush, I guess. The burning toe. Whatever it was. But either way, I'm happy. But I guess in a way, and, I'm, not, I'm not super religious, but I guess your miracle actually would be your girl. Oh my God. Listen, man. This thing, I know there's, I, my story is just, I know there's things I probably over, over skip, but things no, I you're good. You know, skip through, but, you know, because this thing has taught me I'm a better person because of this. I'm a better man. I'm a stronger person. Not physically, but mentally. Don't matter, yeah. Psychologically, yeah. I'm yeah. stronger than I've ever been. It's crazy. You know what I thought of? And this is how 
Remember, do you remember Star Wars, the first one? Uh-huh. What did Obi-Wan say to uh, Darth Vader before Darth Vader killed him? Oh, Jesus, I'm not a big Star Wars person. Uh... You're not? Well, do you remember when Luke looked at him, and instead of Obi-Wan looking at Darth Vader to block the sword, he looked at Luke and let Darth Vader kill him? Yes, I do remember that, yeah. He said to him, if you strike me down, you're only going to make me stronger than you could ever imagine. Gotcha, Because yeah. when he struck him down, he now became a spirit. And now he's immortal. He lives forever. Right. And that's basically how I felt. I was like, you struck me down, but you made me even more powerful and stronger than ever. Yeah. You know? And I was like, wow, it's just incredible. And cannabis. Oh, man. And they just legalized, decriminalized it. And there's so many ways, bro. You can make, uh, make muffins. You can make cookies. You can put cannabis... CBD drops in them, make food with it, or just, or just, you know, whatever, brownies, whatever. You could just have, have THC, or you can have the THC and the CBD in it. You could do, you know what I'm saying? There's so many things. You could, you could use it to fuel cars, hemp. You could make fuel with it. Um, it, it the cash, it was, you know, it was a big part of this country, the economic backbone of this country. You know, right. the first couple, you know, the first 150, 170 years. And, uh, it would save on the environment, save trees and all that stuff. He uh, hemp paper that you make from hemp lasts longer. It's cheaper to it's cheaper to manufacture. You know, I mean, it, it's a no brainer. And and cannabis, the whole plant is medicine. Everything on that plant is medicine. It sh it should have never been classified as a drug. And it's a healing medicine. And people, hopefully now, the stigma. I'm going to help remove the stigma from it. As the stone sailor I am, that's my, that's my name, the stone sailor. Uh -huh. And uh, that's, uh, you know, I'm going to help remove the stigma. And I want veterans to know, veterans now, I'm not talking about my active duty brothers and sisters that are currently serving. I don't want them touching any kind of cannabis whatsoever. Right, right. However, while they're on active duty, no. Any type of military status, no. I don't condone that. However, they also banned CBD in the military for some reason. And this is CBD that I believe could greatly help the military. It's non-euphoric. It has no THC in it. It's just CBD. And it helps and you sleep. The benefits and... for CB, exactly. Stress, anxiety, pain receptors. They use it to treat cancer cells. Oh, and guess what now? They're saying it helps build an immune, healthier immune system, i.e. COVID-19. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Okay? So... You know what I mean? So their argument, you know, they always tell you, listen to science. That's what the new president says. Listen to science. Well, listen to science about cannabis and see, and, and, and go ahead and make it legal all over. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you can't always so, listen to what you think are the experts. You know, like you said, you listen to it. If you listen to the doctors. Oh, just, just hear the testimonies with all the veterans that have, with PTSD that cannabis has saved them from killing themselves. Okay? Mm -hmm. I'm one of them. Yeah, and different it's scientists it's say it's different it's things, it's too. Just like yeah, different doctors say different things. Well, any listen, you know, how could you sit there as a doctor and say cannabis should be illegal when you have alcohol and, and tobacco out there? Are you kidding me? Yeah. How many people are killed from, how many people are killed from eating disgusting fast Oh, you know how many doctors smoke? Oh, like, I don't even get it. I, and again, they, they go through stress too. Like they, they have stress, especially like brain surgeries and stuff like that. Like they go through a lot of stress themselves, but it's like, I know they do, but you can't. Yeah. I mean, and again, I'm sure there's plenty of doctors that are promoting it, but you can't promote, you know, no weed to 
fucking cigarettes and alcohol. Like cigarettes, to me, I don't even understand why people do it. It's disgusting. It's it's horrible for you. It is. It is. It's disgusting. But I mean, again, it, it it's just like you with alcohol or anything. Everyone has an addiction. Everyone has things they go through. Like whatever gets you through the day. Like yeah. I understand, even though it's probably not the best thing for you. And again, if if you're someone out there who I don't know and don't don't you know have any kind of connection with, I'm telling you to go do whatever makes you happy. But if you were somebody in my circle who I care and love, I would probably say not, don't do crack or whatever it is that makes you happy. But I also understand it. Like getting through life, especially, you know, like what you're going through now, like why wouldn't you want to drink? You know, like it's, yeah. of course, like it helps numb the pain, even though we're going to wake up in the morning and not metaphorically and physically, you're going to have that pain again. So you didn't really. It's going to be worse or it's going to be worse because you caused more damage that night when you were drunk right yeah who knows what you even attempted to do and, and not only that you know what the difference is see you, you you hit the nail on the head you said drinking makes you what forget your problems forget your problems yeah. Right? yeah okay you know what cannabis helps you do deal with your problems yeah in a more positive way yeah it yeah. does it's a fact it's a fact yeah okay no it's so great you, it makes it helps you work through your problems not forget about them not just stick them in a drawer for four hours, five hours, whatever the hell it is you wake up and throw up on your cell on the floor, but it helps you work your problems out. Yeah. Okay. And there's nothing wrong. Like, there's people out there that probably have smoked weed and, and then they it didn't work for them, and that's fine. It's, oh, and, um, and, and don't buy it. Don't don't even, don't do it. Right. It's just the dismissive people that are just like, no way, it doesn't work for anyone, and it's like you're ridiculous. Well, that's not true. Not true. That, I mean, that's not true. It's the biggest lie. It's, it's such a lie, and if they oh, yeah. the history of it. I'm studying it right now. There's there's racism involved in the uh, yeah. prohibition of cannabis. A lot of racism too. It's rooted in racism. Yeah. And greed. And, and, greed you know, yeah. a corporation. Uh, absolutely. You know, one of those uh, you know tycoons that wanted to control the whole world, monopolize. But um, so with all that, you know, I'm I'm advocating for my can for cannabis. I want my my veterans to not be treated like criminals when they go to the VA. Like 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 when I go and they're like. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing for medicine? And I'm like, well, I'm taking my medicine and you know stuff, but I've cut a lot of medications down. And then they, I told my doctor, and he was like, "What do you?" I said, "I'm I'm doing cannabis." And he was like, "This is a younger doctor now." And he's like, "Listen, don't say that to any other doctor here because they're going to put your name on a bad list because cannabis is still now something current events now something just changed now. Hold on." He said, can at this time, he said, cannabis is a controlled one substance, and if you admit that to me, I have to put you on the list as being a drug user for the VA purposes, where it could potentially uh, be used to deny you some kind of service. Right. Right? So you get put on a bad person list. Now, the government just did this, they just decriminalized it. So now, when I go back to the, my doctor's appointment next week, I'm going to talk to him how that affected, and I'm sure it should affect the VA now. But prior to this, you were treated like a criminal. Mm-hmm. You told the doctor, yeah. And not only that, the VA told me that they would take care of me. When I retired, when I got out, they said, we're going to take care of you medically. You, you know, we got your back. Well, then you should be bought, paying for my cannabis. I have to come out of my pocket every month for my medication. Right, you yeah. understand? Yeah. That's not right. You know, they'll send me all the pain pills I want. They'll send me 90 days. They'll send me all the oxycontins I want. Trauma dolls, whatever I want. They'll send me that. Yeah. Okay? But they don't want to send me a, a you know, a voucher for cannabis? Yeah. Get out of here. 
Right. Okay. So that's what I'm fighting for. I want, I want, I want the, I want the military to, with the active duty and reservist guys, to understand the the, the higher ups that CBD and cannabis, you know, THC and CBD are all part of the plant. But allowing the the, the soldiers to take CBD and drink it. I mean, even these Navy SEALs like Jocko and all that, they have their drink now, CBD drink. Right, yeah, yeah, I know you're talking about. Exactly. So, I mean, but the military people, they're prohibited from drinking. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so because a lot of the old-timers are just like, they hear CBD, it's like, oh, it's weed, you know? And they're, you know, and they're like, you know, so, but I, you got to, it's a stigma, and I'm trying to break that stigma and just share my story. Um, yeah, that's and, great. And, uh, you and I, I, I saw you, I saw your little, uh, I got, finally got Facebook, uh, you know, about three weeks ago for the first time. I, I joined because, um, you know, I did, a, I did a, another person's podcast and they loved, it was very difficult for me because they were going to ask me questions about my life and my father and family that I never shared with anybody, literally, maybe my, other than my mom and my family, like blood, only right. knew about me every friend I've ever had in my life every relationship I've ever been in the marriage I was in I always excluded those details from that those people right right yeah because I was always afraid they would judge me look down at me and they wouldn't want to be my friend or they wouldn't like me you know so that's the reason why I never told people about my father and you know, all this other stuff. I never told people about what happened, my sister, you know, all this other stuff. I never, you know, I kept, I kept, you know, me, I was just raised in, in the house where my mom's like, all the, all the dirty laundry stays here. You um, learn a lot about yourself. Like, and we talked about this earlier, like you really, it's so therapeutic to tell your story, especially to other people that you don't know. And you just, you start pouring your heart out and you start saying all these things. And sometimes it's, it's hard. You, 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 kind of go through a little like a depression thing like wow like i have to relive this again but then once you hear people's reaction to it and just let it simmer a little bit you really understand like you're you're doing it for a good cause and there's nothing wrong with telling all your problems and and because it really does help people out there um you can help people whether it's through addiction uh because there's some people may hear this story and they may just hear the addiction part and just it helped them through that um you know obviously being a veteran obviously you know being I don't know paraplegic's the proper term, but you know. Yeah, I'm a, you know what I you know I I, I came up I'm a recovering paraplegic. I like it. I like, like it. That? Yeah, I like it. I'm a recovering alcohol. I'm a recovering paraplegic. Got it. I love it. So um, now, yeah. but back to back to our link up with the disability question. When I when I first got the courage, and I say courage, to go out in public in a wheelchair, huh, I for the first time in my life. I understand what it felt like to be a minority, right? Because this world is not built for you. No, the we people who laws, the people yeah. who build things for you, like all the people, like with my site stuff, the people who try to tell me how to do things or show me how to do things, it's all through people with perfect eyesight. So it's not, yeah. it's not. They never made a world where I'm included. And same with you, yeah. like you may you. You may be on that logo. Like, you know, I talk about the logo, how we're all included, but you really are the guy on the logo. You're the guy in the wheelchair. But at best, you'll get a ramp. That's all you get. Like, there. Yes, exactly. You're lucky if you get that, though. Most places don't even have that. Please. Please. All they want to listen. And the only reason they have. Listen, there's been times I've showed up at places. I'm like, no, you're supposed to have that. 
Yeah. I mean, by law, they're basically, see, the thing is, there was a good old lawyer. You need money to get a lawyer to sue somebody. Uh-huh. One. Two, check this out. If you tell a, a guy, you're supposed to build a ramp here for me, and he goes, yeah, you're probably right. Okay, so you're going to sue me? Mm-hmm. All right, well, Okay. I wait till the, I wait till you know call the uh, you know the uh, ACLU or the this but uh, and, and you know what you're you're gonna you think you're just they're just gonna go run and take your case because Joe's uh, bar and grill fucking doesn't have a ramp for you, right? You understand? And no. People are freaking. I get. I'm surprised at how much people don't know about the criminal justice system or or, or the laws in this country. Not what they knew do know, but what they don't freaking know. Of course, when I was a corrections officer, there were people in prison for smuggling alligator hides, catching too many lobsters or too or too big of lobsters. Yeah. People like that, dude. They're not all rapists and murderers, bro, or child molesters. Yeah. You have people in there that should not be in there. You have house arrest, you have probation, all these other things that you could do where they can actually work. And even if they're making minimum wage, they're still paying income tax. Instead, you want to lock them up for two or three years at $40,000 a year. And you got to pay their medical. Right, yeah. You know? We had an inmate, TJ, that came in with a 10-year sentence. Eight years into the sentence, he gets diagnosed with prostate cancer. He tells the warden, he goes through treatment. He's supposed to get out, right? They have him on, like, whatever, the stages of it. But prior to him actually completing the stages, he would technically be have to be out of jail, out of prison. He told the warden, I'm going to threaten your life in a letter or threaten the president, write the president a threatening letter, Obama, because I want to get an extra three or five years so I can finish my cancer treatment because I cannot afford health insurance out there and I don't want to die. How about that? Yeah, wow. Yeah. Serious. I, my, I swear to God. Yeah, I, I, I believe you, of course. Yeah. Um, swear to God. Yeah. So, go ahead. No, I mean, I probably should close this just so it doesn't go fucking forever, but I, I love what you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I, like I said, it, it's a big uh, wake-up call when you realize, like, especially, like, you know, going out in the world, like you said, it's just you're totally perceived differently. Uh, you're not looked at anywhere near what you used to be. Um, and like I said, you you were a person that probably people would kiss your ass sometimes, like, hey, I served. It's like, well, thank you for your service. And it's like... You know, and then um, you know, you don't, you didn't get in a wheelchair because of your service either. Like you're for something totally different, and now you're just this guy, and you're overcoming so much. You know, we talk. I've talked about someone else. We talk about how I think disabled people are really like superheroes. Like, um, I, th- I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I might be making this up, but I really feel like that's what X Men was built around because it's like it's just these freaks, these people who have just yeah. overcame so many things, and they're just shunned upon the world. But then you. You actually show them their talent, and it's like, oh, okay, they really can do things. Um, yeah, you're right. And it's it's limitations. Like you know, me and my friend Paul have this slogan of "fuck limitations," because when when you get put in a box and people tell you where or where what you can do and how you can do it, you believe that shit because your whole life, like you, like I've been told by most people that I won't ever be anything, and I'm as good yeah. as you know. Basically, I can go to this one school, I can work at this one place. I can only make a certain amount. I can only, you know, I'm just a disability collector or whatever. And it's like, I'm, I'm tired of people in my life. That's why I do the podcast. I'm tired of people telling me what I can't do. I want to prove to myself that I can or can't. But if I fail, I fail. Yeah. But it's, I fail because I failed, not because yeah. someone told me I couldn't do it. 
because there are things you can't do. I mean, obviously, there's things I can't do. I know I can't drive, and I'm okay with that, but I'm damn sure going to try everything else. Um, but I told you what I'd do if we were in combat together. What would I do if we were in the fossil? What oh, I, you just point. Yeah, you point where I shoot, I and I'll just, shoot. <laughs> I, would just, I would grab your M16, and I would put it in your hand, and I would say, look, see this direction? Just keep squeezing the trigger, kid. Well, there's some exactly sort of magnifi- magnification to a scope, so it might actually help me yeah, a little bit. Exactly. But you understand, <laughs> that's called, you know what that's called? That's called an accommodation. Right. You're not, right. Asking, you're not asking for me to say you don't have to do it. Right, yeah. I didn't say to you, hey, TJ, man, guess what? I know you're, look, they're coming over the wire, bro, but listen, I know you're legally blind, so you can go home now. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to catch you and cut your throat. You know, don't worry, go. Yeah, no. You know what I'm saying? But that's I, a- I'm a- you could do the job. You just need accommodation. Here's my accommodation, young man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to help. But you want the opportunity, and I'm giving you the opportunity to pass or fail. Right. And that's all we want. We want to feel like now that we're at this stage and we've come to terms of what we are, we just want to be included. And that not just mm-hmm. not just by our friends, like in life. Like we want to feel like yeah. we matter in some way, shape, or form because we, we yeah. really do. And, that, and it, we it, are it, a minority. We are. And I, yes, I, I said and you I, earlier. And I had a very good friend of mine, an African-American, that got offended at me. When I said that, I, I understood what it felt like to be a minority. And she was upset at me. And I was like, listen, has, it, this is, we are a minority. We're disabled people. We are, I mean, uh, African-Americans are 13%. They're a minority. But then you go down, how many, what's the percentage of us? One, two yeah. percent of the country? And not even that, like, you think, like, I, I've I heard it's like 71% of, and this is just visually impaired and blind people are unemployed. Yeah. And that's just visually impaired and blind people. That's not disabled yeah. people. Like, there, there is no rescue plan. Like, people think disability and social security is, is basically our golden ticket. And the reality of it is it doesn't mean shit. One, it restricts you from making more money if you want to keep it. And, mm-hmm. you know, and like that's if you're on Social Security, they just take more and more. So you really don't make anything. But on disability, like, yeah, you can make, I think it's like over $2,100 right now. And that's all depending on your disability. Yeah. And it, it's it's not anything. Like, we would love to get off disability. It's a security blanket. But it's, it's also like you just, it's not, it's just money. At the end of the day, like, I'd rather be able to earn my living and make money. And, and I do. And I still, I'm not like at the cusp of where I can not lose my disability, but it's like if someone offered yeah. me a, a crap load of money to really do something that I love doing, I would throw my disability in a heartbeat away because I don't care about sure you it. Would. It means sure a lot to me because I, you know, in a way I earned it, not in a way I would like to, but mm-hmm. it means it means a lot to me, but it also, I don't want it to define me because I'm not, I don't even like the word disabled in a lot of ways, and I'm not one of these word people. I'm not either, but yeah, I mean, what, I mean, what, what, what's the proper word? Because I, I don't know. Because like, I don't like handicapped I, either. Know, yeah, I, I, you know what I, you know, honestly, here, here, here's what I call, and I laugh at. I know this is probably, but I laugh at it. Like I'm like, I, I'll come in. I make like we, we talked about how people treat you different. Sure, if I'm the only black kid in a school, everyone's going to treat me different. Of course, I'm like, oh wow, you know, yeah. it's the same thing. We're minorities. Yeah. So. Little kids see me, they don't know what to say. Uh, adults see me, they do, sometimes they don't even look me in the eye, man. And I walk by, and then it's like, and then when they do sometimes, they look at me and it's like, God, I feel so sorry for you. Yeah, and it's, unfor- like, it's unfortunate because you think about, uh, like, I think every person, the only way they'll ever understand what we're going through is they have to go through something as horrible as we did, and that, that's sad. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a few people out there. I mean, obviously, your girl. Like, there's people out there that really do yeah. care and really, you know, they didn't have to go through something as tragic as us, 
but just witnessing it and being around it makes them understand. Like sure. there are those people, but yeah. there's not enough. Of course, there's this not enough. Right. And, and and you know, you bump, I bump into people. You know, uh, a young lady, she she heard about my story because people around the neighborhood, I'm wheeling up to the pool, they're cheering me like Rocky. They they're the ones that told me to take all the documentary, you know, document my recovery because it was a miracle. They said you, it's like seeing a a miracle happen, document it, and I did. I just didn't want to release it to anybody. And then I, now I did, but because of that, I, I, this young lady comes, she's like, my brother's a quadriplegic. He was driving home 10 years ago from a concert or whatever, and bam, done. Quad yeah. is all four, okay? And she, you know, the parents lived like an hour up there. I said, you know what? Lucy and I, we're getting in the car, we'll go see him. I went to go see him, spent a couple of hours with him. He, you know, he, he, he's, he's not in the best of shape, unfortunately. And, and um, he's on state. Uh, he, you know, he wasn't a vet or, or didn't have insurance. He was a young kid at the time. He was 23. And uh, he's on state disability and all that. And, and as far as, like, getting him as caregivers, he's a quad, man. He, 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 you know what I'm saying? He, he has a tube. He, you know what I mean? He has all kinds of he, – he, he was hit pretty bad. Right. And, you know, and the thing is, is he saw me. He saw the videos of me. And it just like was, he just wanted to meet me. Like it was just like, and of course, and I told him, I said, hey man, every step I take from here on out, I take you with me. Right. I'll remember your face, I'll remember your voice, I take you with me. Right. Every step from here on out. Right. You know what I mean that? No, so, I believe you. You know what I mean? And, and it's just the, the wonderful people that, I mean, I, I, I thought I was gonna get a lot of judgment so far after I shared my story, but I really haven't gotten it yet, you know? Um, I got a lot of it in school when I was growing up because kids found out my father, we went to jail and they called me, my daddy's a jailbird, your father's a jailbird. And I had cops, I've had teachers tell me I was gonna end up in my prison and like my dad, like literally, like everyone told me I was just gonna, you know, it, it just, you know, it, for this kid to say that I inspired him, this guy, you know, it just like, it really touched me. Like, and I'm thinking, I can't, like, I have to like think about like every time I'm tired or I just want to sit on my ass and tell my girlfriend, you know what, let's just bring the chair because I don't want to be standing all day. I'm, I don't want to stand for an hour. I, but if I have to go to the bathroom, whatever, nah, fuck that. Go out there and stand up, dude. Because that yeah. guy can't. You better stand up. Yeah. And that's what I do, you know. And that's, you know, just kind of in closing. Like, we just, that's one of the things we talked about. Like, if, as people with different disabilities, we yeah. have to stick together. If we don't, we have to. no one's coming to help us. Nobody. No one Nobody. gives a shit. We have to. And even if they even no, if they give a to. shit, they're not. They're just. They have enough problems. Like you know, there's people going through their own demons and their problems. As yeah. disabled people, like doesn't matter where what your problem is, what your disabilities, what your condition, whatever you want to call it, doesn't matter. We really are always bunched in the same category, whether we like it or not. And oh, even though we're all different, we all we all contribute in some way, shape, or form. But we're all considered whatever you want to call it, and. We need to fight together. I consider us veterans in, in a way because we all have something in common, just like a veteran does. We absolutely have PS, PTSD. We have something big. Oh, yeah. We have something major in common, and we have to stick together, and we can't hate on each other because one's successful or trying to turn a negative into, like, come on, guys. Let's stop doing that, man. We're, we're, it's bad enough everybody else you know, doesn't understand us and is awkward around us. Now, you want to treat us like shit, too? 
and we're always fighting. Like you're fighting to yeah, stand. I'm, you know, like we're all and we're Ridiculous. fighting. We're fighting for our rights. We're fighting for our sanity. We're fighting for so many things. So yeah, in a way, you can yeah. you can make that case because. Exactly. Um, so. But yeah. Uh, yeah. It yeah. was a wonderful. Hey, I really appreciate you having me come on the show, man. I, I really appreciate. It. I had a wonderful time. Great talk. My man, yeah, yeah. Like I said, we're gonna talk after the like, you know, we're gonna keep talking. I mean, you know, at some point down the road, I'd like to do an update, like somewhere next sure, year, just to know how you're doing and and so on. But in general, we're gonna keep talking. And like I said, we definitely, you're definitely my friend. Like you, whatever you need, you know. Just, definitely, you're my hey, same goes here, man. Same man. goes here, really, brother. All right, brother. All right? I, I appreciate this, honestly. Hey, thank you. Thank I, you. I will let you know when I'm gonna post. I have to edit and do all that shit, but I'll all let right. you know when it comes. It probably be a few weeks, gotcha. but I, I I got it thank for you. you. All right, bye. All right, buddy. Bye. Thank you.